Welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. This is Mike Wong with a response to the epic finale to Star Trek Discovery's third season. As always, my think, feel, and question. Think. In That Hope Is You, Part 2, we seem to get confirmation of the cause of the burn through this dialogue between Kolber and Adira. How could Sokal have caused the burn? How is that even possible? I can't prove it without a scan, but I suspect he's a polyploid. It's when normal chromosomal separation is disrupted in utero, it can cause an individual's genes to be affected by their environment, and this environment has massive concentrations of dilithium. Apparently, highly connected to his role in the burn is the fact that the Kelpian Sukal is a polyploid. Okay, but what's a polyploid? In technical terms, a polyploid is an organism with more than two homologous sets of chromosomes, and I totally realize that that probably only muddied the waters if you're not familiar with biology lingo, so let's back up just a sec and talk about the organizational structure of genetic information in life. The sum total of all the genetic information that codes for a living organism is called the genome. The genome is like a recipe book for how to make and maintain a living creature. The material of the book, the paper and ink, are strands of DNA. And the language is an ancient, billions of years old language, one whose alphabet has only four different letters. These letters are actually molecules, the nucleobases of DNA, and have fancy chemical names, but most people just call them by their first letters, A, T, C, and G. A, T, C, and G can group in threes called codons. Codons are the words of the genetic language. They're the smallest, meaningful unit of information. Each codon, or trio of letters, corresponds to one of life's 20 amino acids. Machinery in your cell reads the codons in your DNA. G, 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 glycine, G, C, A alanine, AAG, lysine, and so on. Then, more machinery sticks the corresponding amino acids together, and when the codons have run out and all the amino acids are strung together, you've just built a protein that can go off and do its thing, like make energy for the cell, or transport waste out of the cell, or proofread the DNA for errors. So, DNA written in a four-letter language, arranging itself in three-letter words, each word representing an amino acid, can be read out to string amino acids together and form life's other molecules. Truly amazing. Now, the collection of DNA that encodes a single protein is called a gene. So, in our analogy, a gene is like a recipe, right? A, a recipe is a collection of words that together can be used to create a complete dish. And a gene is a collection of codons that encode for a complete functional protein. 
In our cells, genes are organized into chromosomes. These are like the chapters in our recipe book. Recipes or genes that go together should be located near one another in chapters or chromosomes. The human genome has 23 chromosomes, each with hundreds to thousands of genes. In other words, the human recipe book has 23 chapters, each with hundreds to thousands of recipes. And now we can talk about ploidy. Ploidy is the number of complete sets of chromosomes in a cell, or the number of copies of your genomic recipe book. We humans are diploid. That means we have two copies of our chromosomes. Species with just one set are called monoploids, and species with more than two are polyploids. Polyploid! That's what Dr. Kolber thinks Sukal is, a mutant who has more than two copies of his genetic recipe book. Now, why might that be? We aren't given much more information than that, so we can't be completely sure. But I would venture to guess that Sukal's polyploidal nature could have something to do with the high-radiation environment in the Verubin Nebula. Radiation is dangerous to living organisms, chiefly because it can disrupt our strands of DNA, breaking them apart or causing dangerous mutations. Even the slightest mistake can be fatal. Imagine removing just one letter from a string of DNA. Not only does the codon that contains that letter get messed up, but all subsequent codons get thrown off, too, from this so-called frameshift mutation. On Earth, radiation-resistant organisms have evolved clever tricks to avoid such disasters. These include employing fancy error-correcting enzymes and polyploidy. Take the microbe Deinococcus radiodurans, for example. This bacterium has a genome comprised of two chromosomes, or two chapters. Remember, we've got 23, so Deinococcus radiodurans is a simple organism compared to you and me. But unlike humans, which only keep two copies of each of our chapters in our cells, Deinococcus radiodurans has up to 10 copies of its two-chapter recipe book. 10 copies! So if a few get damaged, no biggie. This extreme polyploidy, along with other evolutionary inventions, allows Deinococcus radiodurans to survive thousands of times more radiation than we humans can, making it one of the toughest life forms discovered to date. Real-life astrobiologists are fascinated with Deinococcus radiodurans and other so-called extremophiles. That's our name for organisms who make their homes in extreme environments. And this is because these organisms show us how life can adapt to thrive in places that we consider wild and weird, but which may be perfectly normal on other worlds. 
High doses of radiation might be a simple fact of everyday life on planets with thinner atmospheres or weaker magnetic fields, or worlds around stars with much more active stellar flares, or perhaps a world inside the Virubin Nebula. In the case of Sukal, maybe his polyploidal nature explains why he doesn't seem to be experiencing the damage that Saru and the rest of the Discovery Away team suffers from. Somehow, through his mutations, Sukal has also acquired a genetic connection to dilithium and subspace, and his fright and anger and grief sends shockwaves through subspace that destabilizes dilithium. The medium for this shockwave seems to be subspace itself, which is highly reminiscent of how gravitational waves propagate through the fabric of spacetime. And that, to me, sounds like something that Aaron McDonald might come up with. So my thoughts on the burn will continue next time on Strange New Worlds, when we'll be joined by Drs. Aaron McDonald and Mohammed Noor, the science consultants for the Star Trek universe. I think it would be a bit pointless for me to continue speculating here without those two, because I myself have science questions that I would love to ask them. In truth, my main goal today was to provide a little background on genetics so that we can dive deeper into Sukal's unique biology when we have Aaron and Mohammed on next time. So, moving on to my feel for this week. <laughs> well, what is there to say? Another tremendously enthralling season of Star Trek Discovery has come to an end. And as always, it's done so in a truly uplifting fashion. <laughs> Commander Burnham. Lieutenant Sayle. You found your way home. As did you. And I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. I know a lot of people got emotional about seeing Aditya Sahil again at the end of this episode. I certainly was too, and I've evolved on my thoughts on this character over the past 13 episodes despite the fact that the last time we saw him was in the first episode of the season, That Hope Is You Part 1. In that episode, Sahil was the sole guardian of a lonely Federation relay station, disconnected from everyone else in the galaxy. In that episode, Book and Burnham described him as a true believer. But what did he believe in? You see, back then we had no idea what the Federation had morphed into over the centuries. And before encountering Michael Burnham, Sahil had gone decades without meeting a single Starfleet officer. That kind of blind faith, well, honestly, it reminded me of the kind of cult worship, closed-minded nationalism, and dogmatic fanaticism that certain political figures inspire in their followers today. You know who I'm talking about. This past week's siege of the U.S. Capitol 
while members of Congress had convened to fulfill the democratic process, was a terrifying example of what that kind of blind belief can impose on the world when placed in the wrong hands. So, my overwhelming feeling about this final episode of Season 3, about these final moments of That Hope Is You Part 2, is relief. Relief that over the course of the season, we didn't discover that the UFP had evolved into some kind of evil, oppressive regime. Relief that Admiral Vance didn't turn out to be just another badmiral in Star Trek. Relief that Aditya Sahil had not misplaced his trust in the Federation. That it was indeed hope and truth, and peace, and connection, and love, and all things good that kept him going. And that he had finally found home. To wrap up the last of these episode recaps, let's finish with my question. If you listened to my previous episode featuring historian De Sonoka on Osira's representation of capitalism— you may have been left slightly miffed at her rather simple demise. If Osira was truly a metaphor for capitalism, then it seems like the end of capitalism is getting shot three times from behind a data wall, or whatever that thing was. But there was no trial, no reparations, no atonement for her war crimes. So was justice served? or not? That's not really my question. My real question is, will season four continue this line of questioning? In the aftermath of Osira's death, does the emerald chain continue or crumble? And through exploring the challenges of rebuilding the Federation, will discovery make us reflect even more on our present-day social, political, and economic systems. I hope so. I really do. If only so that I can invite more amazing people outside the realm of science, like my good friend Desonoka, onto strange new worlds once again. And with that, congratulations for making it through the third season of Star Trek Discovery with me. I really appreciate all of your listenership week in and week out. Next week, we'll have the amazing Dr. Aaron McDonald and Professor Mohammed Noor with us, and that's one you just cannot miss. Until then, see you out there.